When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 175. And this opinion is brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton. He's Frances Tomas. And Frances, episode 175, it feels like a milestone of a number, but truly feels like a milestone because it is, it is the very first show starting. And while he did obviously get signed, our last show about Kike Setien, this is the first one for the Kike Setien era, where we're going to be talking about Kike Setien football. And it really does feel good and hopeful and all those warm and fuzzy feelings, doesn't it, Frances? Hola, Gules. Yes, it really does. Um, after nearly three years of Valverderism, boringism, and whatever isms you want to put in there, it is a breath of fresh air to be talking about something different, something exciting, and something that aligns with our thoughts and feelings as to what our club should be. Well, I think we're going to have to get right into LaRonda. We have so many good questions. We want to just keep this train moving. And we are talking, it's going to be uncharacteristically a little more of a match review about Barca Granada because that's really the only sample size we have of the Kiki Setien era. We have 90 minutes to talk about. And we're going to start with a simple one from Ellie. And he just asked thoughts about the game. And this is a game that, you, that I watched yesterday and then you watched today. And so, Frances, having just finished it, what sticks out in your mind? Well, it's fresher, isn't it? It's better. It is an improvement in terms of feeling, in terms of understanding, in terms of what what the players were doing. I mean, someone like Busquets, for example, he looked like 27 years younger, if that's even possible. Um, obviously, not the way that he looks himself, but, but the way in which he was behaving around the pitch. He was pressing, he was running, he was um, even, this is Busquets, even overlapping and he was playing one-touch football, and I think that is the clear representation of what the team was. I think that Barca, again, after many years, I mean, arguably, Valverde didn't bother too much with this, and the players did naturally, but after many years, they wanted to be protagonists of the game throughout. And, you know, let's take this with a pinch of salt as well. We're playing Granada, that have been better this season than Granada have traditionally been, but then again, you're not playing against... Um, Mourinho's Inter Milan or Liverpool under club or anything like that. Regardless, uh, Barca wanted to dominate. They were more fluid from building from the back. I thought that um, it was surprising that Lenglet didn't start the game and Untiti was there instead. Um, having said that, the next game is against Valencia, if I'm not, if I'm not wrong. And Lenglet had four yellow cards. So maybe that was 
something that influenced his decision. Um, so uh, regardless of whether Umtiti or Lenglet played from the back, I think that Barca had a clear mission, which was taking care of the ball. And the speedness, the rawness, the dynamism throughout the whole place was, was tremendous. It was a, a vast improvement. I think that it was clear that Setien wanted to implement what his belief is, which is speedy football. One, two touches throughout, unless it was essential or unless you were sort of um, in the opponent's area. And it was great. It was, it was fluid. I think that Barca understood when to push forward and when not to, um, as I would say the last 10, 15 minutes. And obviously, Ricky Puch came in and uh, the game changed for the better, obviously. But I'm sure we're going to have some questions about that later. But Barca understood what the game was for and the whole purpose was to win it. But obviously, after 75, 80 minutes of showing what Barca can do, I thought it was a, a great presentation card as at the end handed to the Camp Nou fans and obviously millions of us around the world. Yeah, you, the two words that you said that stuck out to me in particular there that I, I agree with was one touch, which is, I'm using a hyphen, so one word, and positioning. And Sergio Busquets and Lionel Messi were at the epicenter of that. And sure, a new manager might give you a little bit of an energy boost and changing the formation might be immediately paying dividend against, against a team that were willing to give as much possession as they did. We'll have a question about that coming up. But for Sergio Busquets, here's the stats from the game. 179 touches, 157 total passes, 145 completed passes. Granada only had 130 completed passes. So keep that in mind that Sergio Busquets alone had 15 more completed passes than the entire opposition. 92.4 passing accuracy and 14 recoveries. And the recoveries too also sticks out to me because his positioning offensively and defensively yesterday, that being Busquets, was almost perfect. All the advanced metrics say he was the man of the match, but they, I think that number, it was an 8.0 and 8.1 out of 10, but that should have been even even higher yesterday. I, I thought Busquets had an incredible match, and one of the main reasons for that under Kike Setien is that Busquets doesn't have to drop in between the center backs, and he was starting to build up from farther up the field because Kike Setien did bring and institute that high line. I think through the first 10, 15 minutes, I was thinking, you know, it doesn't really look that different. And then the shapes really did start to form on the field. And you go, oh, Sergio Roberto is tucked in as that right center back in the back three. And Jordi Alba's not going to really be coming back often. Fati's tucked in, play defense on that right side. And you have basically the two up top in Griezmann and Messi just combining and, and moving around and, and shifting around where Griezmann sometimes would go out to the left wing when Alba stayed back. But largely the positioning of Busquets, I think, was epicenter to everything where he, because he didn't drop so deep and was starting to combine and starting the one-touch football farther up the field, I think it paid dividends to keeping possession the entire time. And you see just how important and incremental that position now is going to be. And whether it is Busquets or whether or not Frankie De Jong also plays in that position when there, if there might be rotation, I think De Jong is going to absurdly excel, excel at that position as well. But I think he's going to excel next to Busquets where if you replace Rakitic's first half with Frankie De Jong, I mean, the possibilities there are completely uh, endless. And the other point, too, is for Messi, I've been very critical under Valverde this season that Messi drops too far deep into the midfield to receive the ball. Only one or two occasions did Messi get lower on the field, if you will, behind Fati or Vidal or Rakitic. Very few times did he really drop deep to get the ball to create and combine. Messi was largely just waiting for the ball to come to him. And then once they were in the attacking third, then yes, obviously he was orchestrating and coming back, being the facilitator there. But by and large, Messi was waiting for those wall passes, waiting for the one-twos. And when they finally did come, he obviously, Messi, makes the right decisions and keeps the ball flowing, keeps the ball moving. I thought Griezmann did a great job of that as well. So uh, for me, every player that we thought was going to excel under Kike Setien wound up excelling under Kike Setien. And quickly on to the point of Samuel Umtiti, Cole asked, is it Umtiti's job to lose? And I think, Frances, you had a great point about Langley's yellow cards and the accumulation of those, and potentially that's why Umtiti was on the field. But I also think that, and Kevin Williams has been a big advocate of this for a long time, so credit to him. Hopefully we're going to have him on the show in the next few weeks as well to talk more about not only Umtiti, but Kike Setien. But Umtiti is willing to take risks. And there was one or two passes, one in particular, where he missed the ball and they had to scramble into recovery. But because Roberto and PK have an understanding that Umtiti is going to take that risk, they're prepared for the counterattack that could be coming the other way. And I thought they were able to snuff that out pretty well. And yes, it is against Granada and not world-class attackers, though Darren Machis, he had his opportunities because Darren Machis is pretty good. I'd say he's a pretty quality La Liga player. 
And all that said, Umtiti's ability to take risks, that's what I think is going to get him playing time at all. It could be still be Lenglet as the first choice, but I don't think he has the passing accuracy and the ability to convert on long passes that Umtiti does. So I think if Umtiti does play well, he could be the guy. But that doesn't say that Lenglet in a back three can't be the middle guy rotating with PK. I, I don't think it has to be an and or. It might just be all three in, in quick rotation. Exactly. And, and one of the key points you sort of mentioned there in passing as well is the fact that Roberto has been a defensive midfielder coming through La Masia. So he understands the Busquets' position. Obviously, he's also an interior, and because he's an interior and basically understands the Barca system inside out in any position, he's ended up playing a right back. But the thing is, he can he understands what a centre back at Barca needs to do. And if the play is going towards the left, which is where Umtiti was sort of mainly positioned, or maybe even out of position when he's recovering, then he can sort of cover that Piquet position, and so he rotates towards the left. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I think it does make a lot of sense. So let's talk about possession as well, which is really what we're getting down to when you say Barca's system and Sergio Roberto's understanding of it. Rick asked 80% possession. Uh, the exact number was uh, 82.6 or 83% possession. Wow, our possession play must be back then. Now that we play a different style than Valverde's, how do you think our opponents will change their tactics? Will we be seeing more Mourinho inter-style defensive approaches? And that's a tough one from Rick as well because possession is paramount to what Barca does. But as we saw... I'm interested to see, and this is going to be the question on the Kike Setien, when the goals aren't getting put in the back of the net. And I don't want to touch... It's hard to answer this without mentioning a target forward and mentioning a lack of loose Suarez. We're going to try to put that on the back burner, Frances. So is there a way to answer this question without mentioning a number nine? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, because obviously it is football and all the pieces um, interlinked together. So the, the main point here is that Setien is a Cruyffist even though he never really played for Barca um, or played for Cruyff himself. Um, I think he has said many times that he discovered football once the dream team showed him a thing or two on the field and uh, ever since he's been studying. And, and that reflects in that 82% that you just mentioned. Um, Setien's way of defending is having possession of the ball. And that is something that during the Guardiola years in particular, that, that was obvious, something that Chavis mentioned many times. And... To be honest, I'm just glad to see that Barca has got back to to what it needs to be, which is an attacking, purposeful team that have possession of the ball most of the time and know what to do with it. Obviously, they know what to do with it. We're going to be touching on soon in terms of what's happening up front. But as a starting point, after three days in charge, this is very positive from Setien already. Yeah, I think one of the things that, as Armin asked, how far will Setien's obsession with Cruyffism go? And Vishu also asked about what can Kike Setien do to improve on that regard. I would say that we didn't see much of those long balls over the top yesterday, particularly with Antoine Griezmann to run onto. We saw a few out wide to Ansu Fadi, and I think Fadi's first touch let him down a few times. And I think we're going to see not only improvement from Ansu Fadi in those individual matchups when he finds that space on the right wing, and whether or not that's Carlos Perez and Usmane Dembele. I love that trio being in for one another, and you really do find, uh, I think Setien can say, whoever has the best week in training, they're going to get the start in any particular match. Again, Usmane Dembele is going to be back in a few weeks. We'll see how he integrates into that position. But at least offensively, again, Dembele is going to have some defensive work to do that I think Fatih does maybe better at this point, even in his young career. But all that said, Antoine Griezmann, the, the attacks to him over the top weren't really conspiring, and whether it was Rakitic or Ridal, because it, I think under the Valverde system, Lenglet and even PK were tasked with almost breaking that midfield line and vertically sending a long pass ahead to start a counterattack. But as we saw under not even Guardiola, but Tito Villanova and even Luis Enrique, that task fell to a Xavi or Iniesta, and we've seen Busquets has that ball as well. And I think that is something that will improve and get better as well. Counterattacks and forcing a team like a Granada or even a better team who's willing to be defensively compact and play that high block to get them pushed even farther forward and, and almost draw them out and then to allow longer balls because there is quality in Barcelona's team to be able to play those balls and it's interesting to me that even Rakitic who had that ball it seemed like under Luis Enrique when he first showed up that's why he was one of his best seasons he had that ball that allowed verticality in the team to break it into counterattacks, and he combined really well on a number of occasions not only with Messi but with uh, Alba and with Pedro in his final season and I don't know where that's gone 
uh, for Rakitic, but if he's able to conjure that back up. But as I said, you also have Artur, you also have Frankie de Young, and again, it's hard not to. I want to say Ricky Pooj. I'm, it's on the it's on the the cusp of my lips, Francis, to be talking about Ricky Pooj. But let's hold off for just a more second here. But as I said, I think balls up and over those compact defense. I think we're going to see more of that, and that's what his Real Batiste, that being said, in sides did. He got teams out, cut out on the counterattack, and as as long as the defense as we mentioned has an ability, that being Barca, as long as they're understanding of where they need to be and they're understanding that they're going to be fired upon if you thought mark Heinrich Stegen was a savior before i know he's got those bad knees now but he's gonna to have to come up pretty big against some pretty good teams but i think there's been a trust with him on that uh, the other point i want to mention here over a thousand passes for barca in this game so this is the new style and how far will he take that that's a great question i don't know what the epitome or the extreme of this is you know francis you and i both love the nba and i think of the three-point shots right how three-point shooting back in the, my favorite player ever steve nash he says now maybe he should have taken more threes and that then mike d'antoni and those phoenix suns 10 years ago they were pushing how fast in seven seconds or less and how many threes you could take in a game and now if you've if you take them and put them into today's NBA, they'd be one of the slowest teams out there because some of their teams continue to shoot more and more threes. And James Harden or Steph Curry, they keep breaking their own records year after year after year. And my question with these passing is, maybe with this overcorrection that world football has done to make it counterattacking and to make things be quick, sniper, uh, viper-like strikes, what if Kike Setting is just going to say, we've got some of the best passers in the world. We are going to now recorrect and we're going to pass everybody to death. The last time Barca had over 1,000 passes, though, Tito Villanova was manager, 4-0 win over Levante, Messi, Iniesta, Cesc Fabregas, and there were some pretty good players on that team. At that time, also the famous day when all 11 of the Barca team had come from La Lazio. So what a telling, telling moment in Barca history there. Yeah, and everything that you mentioned, obviously, is interlinked. I think that the key point here, and I don't want to add too much because you, you explained it well, is just to say that we finally have a manager that is going to teach and is going to influence and is going to improve our players. I mean, when you said about Dembele, well, Dembele is going to come back in terms of his private life, in terms of his difficulties outside of his actual job, which is playing football. That may be put in the back burner, that may be corrected because he actually cares and he actually has got someone who can motivate him and can get the best out of him. And, and obviously, Dembele is going to be the clearest example. I think Artur has a thing or two to learn as well. And I'm excited we've got someone of that caliber, that experience and that philosophy to lead us forward. Yeah, that's a good point I, that about off-the-field stuff, that there's been worries about Artur and Dembele. And you know how in the off-season, we felt like Vidal and Rakitic weren't going to survive the summer either, just like Valverde. And yet, they, here they are in the fall because... Barca just didn't do business. I think there's also a point here that if guys aren't fitting in what Setien wants to do, they're not going to play. And we already see that. They're not going to play if he doesn't like what they're doing. And that means that they're going to be gone a little quicker. And I think that's, again, a, it, it's a tough thing to do, especially when you have older guys on, on big wages. So Douglas actually asked a question related to that. It's just one match. But if you had to pick between the two, who will be more useful under Setien, Arturo Vidal or even Rakitic? I'd say that Vidal will be more useful because he's yeah, more different. Um, I think that, especially in the absence of Suarez, then you need players who can do something different, who can be a little bit anarchic and can drop into those spaces. I mean, regardless of what system Barca plays, Messi is the key player because basically he is the system. You know, he, he, is, he goes wherever he wants, he feels the game, he influences in whichever way he decides he needs to. And Barca, obviously, based on, on the first Setien match, Busquets is going to be as important, but obviously in a different in a different facet of the game, if Messi does trust you, which obviously is clear that he trusts Vidal, then then you're probably going to have something to add. And and when you don't have Suarez as a reference up front, and you've got Vidal being able to sort of fill up those empty pockets of space, then that is something very positive that Rakitic cannot really do um, um, because they're different players, obviously, not taking anything off Rakitic. But it is clear in the Croatians' perspective that 2015 was a better year for him than 2019 or 2020, clearly, because father time is unforgiving. And um, Ricky Puch coming through, you've got other players that obviously Alanya when he returns from loan, which I know is six months away at least. But it is clear that the future is moving in a different direction. But for the time being, this season we need to challenge for every trophy, which we are doing. And with this added oomph that the new manager is bringing, let's see where it, where it takes us. But I think Vidal will be more of a protagonist for sure. 
Right, and we're thinking in the short term as well. Across Alenia is gone for the rest of this season. It's actually been a great sign. I watched the Real Betis against Real Sociedad match, and they certainly took it to them at home. And Carlos Alenia was really, really good in that game. And Emerson, who I've talked about on this show, I think if Nelson Semedo doesn't wind up fitting with what Kike Setien does, and he and Sergio Roberto we think isn't completely up to it uh, at that position. Uh, Emerson is certainly one to circle to return to the club. And Kike Setien knows that player well as well. I, you know, I think that both of those guys uh, could potentially be starters. And that's, again, that's the argument here, Frances. That's what that's the hurdle, right, that you always mention, that guys who should be coming into Barca now because of what is pushing through at La Masia should be guys who step in as starters. So that's how I think that's how I'm going to approach this, or at least try to every time we hear transfer rumors. that Do I think Alenia and Emerson are going to be starters? I do. I think they could come in and they could take positions. But yeah, and you got to have guys heading the other way. But I think in January, we're going to get to that in a second about any positions that need to be reinforced, it, particularly just one. But we're going to end this general segment before we talk about the target forward and Ricky Puj. We have a question from Daniel. Is there a narrative amongst the general football community that wants us to fail? And I think, Daniel, this this question uh, comes from the idea that you're hearing a lot of cynics and a lot of negativity after this match and say, well, sure, Barca beat Granada uh, to start a Kike Setien era. They had all this passing. They had uh, all completed passes, I mean, and they had all this possession, but they only won one nothing. It came in the 75th minute, and it came after a red card for Granada. And I think there certainly was a lot of criticism about Barca and uh, questions and fears that this is what Barca is going to be. It's going to be a team that's going to possess, and it's going to look pretty. Sure, Barca fans might enjoy it, but they're not going to wind up getting results. But I, I think, Daniel, the, the failure there comes from the fact that I think that, as we talked about with Valverde getting sacked, it is a puzzling thing for so many other teams around the world to understand how a manager could possibly be fired or sacked after being first in the league, first in his Champions League group, still alive in every competition, having Lionel Messi, and again, leading Real Madrid in, in the Liga table, most importantly. I think the rest of the world is puzzled at why Barca, uh, on the top of the world, results-wise, how would have to sack their manager. And that's because of that misunderstanding that is, I think, the narrative about general football fans. They think that there's a snobbiness and a snootiness to Barcelona, and it would take you about four minutes on Twitter to figure out that I think there are a lot of newer fans, in uh, newer Kool-Aids who subscribe to those kind of things, and there is almost a, a privilege to watching Barcelona. And the other point here that I want to make to Daniel is that I think it's really off-putting for a part of the general football community as well. When we talk about Setien, and this is going back to Cruyffism. Football, the way that we know, and I say this as all those, most of our people listening right now are fans of Barcelona and Kool-Aid's. When we say the Barca way, the right way, we're, abscri- we're ascribing morality, a sense of morality to the way that football needs to play. And that, that is an extremely, not only privileged position to be in, because that means that we're obviously going to be getting results because our players are that talented, but to ascribe morality to it, 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 it does demonize the way that other teams play football, particularly a counterattacking, punch-you-in-the-mouth team like Real Madrid, uh, we're saying that they are uh, that they are almost morally lesser than because of the way that they play football. And that certainly rubs a lot of people the wrong way. So that would be why uh, what you hear when you say people want Barca to fail, uh, they, there is certainly a privilege involved in Barcelona. And unlike some of us who might be, again, I host a podcast and I have a lot of time to talk my way through it, but in 160 characters on Twitter, especially uh, some of our other, we'll say, younger fans, they do not articulate this well. And that, unfortunately, is the thing that gets thousands of retweets, thousands of likes, or somehow find its way into, into other people's or other detractors' articles on uh, websites. And they see a lot of the, the novice fans who don't really know how to articulate what they're seeing and what they enjoy about Barcelona. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any denying that the Barca fan base, and us included, no, no question about that, we've been spoiled for many years because our team has played the right way which is the Barca way, which is Cruyffism, which we explained in this show and in you know, the previous 174 episodes as well. Mm-hmm. And that's not our fault. That's what it is. You know, that, that's, that's the situation that we are, and we shouldn't be apologetic about it. We should be proud of our past. We should be proud of who we are. And we should be proud of how demanding we are. We want our team to play well. And in Barca terms, normally when Barca play well, we end up winning because then we've got, um, we're not a poor club. Obviously, we're one of the top two teams in La Liga. Therefore, we get a lot of money for for transfers, uh, which historically we've handled fairly well. Rivaldo, Romario, Ronaldo, etc. And in later years, Ronaldinho, etc. 
So we haven't done too badly there. And because of that, when we play well, traditionally, we win. Is it enough to win games for us? No, it's not. If you think back at the, and I know I've said it twice in this podcast, weirdly, when we lost to Mourinho in the Champions League uh, against Inter Milan, obviously Samuel Leto was part of their team as well. I wasn't really upset. I was upset about the fact that we lost. I was upset about the fact that Mourinho was running around the camp no being a clown. But we played the right way. We did everything we could to get there. And football is football. Sometimes you just don't win. But if you're going to die, you need to die standing up for what you believe in and going about it the right way. And this, I don't know what's going to happen in this, this season. I don't have a crystal ball. But I know we're going to have fun on the journey. And that's, that's what we need to keep thinking and, and, and moving forward with that. Um, as to what the rest of the world thinks about me and us, I don't care. I honestly don't care. That's, that's their problem. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, again, you, you dig in and uh, again, it's just social media where you get attacked. And I, I have riveting conversations with all of these other uh, fans I have. I have a good friend who's a Man United fan. And it was funny, we were speaking this week uh, just about the cycle that Man United did. And I mentioned where I had a great fear in Valverde that the cycle of Barcelona greatness, obviously Messi, you know, could be ending and all of those things in the coming years. And all that said, I, I said, I wake up in a cold sweat at night thinking that Barca could turn into AC Milan, a team that was on the top of the world, uh, seen as a leader, transfers, all of these things. And then all of a sudden, uh, they wind up being a team that's fighting for Europa League spots and fighting for Champions League spots because they just had too many years of bad business, bad management, and a team that just didn't have a passion, right? And so, but Dan, with yeah. that, can I can I jump in there? Sure. You just trigger something with that. Barca is not going to be in that position because what Cruyff did, and Cruyff, and then the people around him, and the people before him, and the people after, they created a culture. They created a winning culture. They created a culture of beautiful football and. It's not just Cruyff anymore. It's not one person with a flag, like maybe I'm not a Manchester United fan or expert, obviously, but maybe Ferguson didn't have that caliber of people following, you know, because you've got, I don't know, Guillermo Amor, Guardiola, you've got Xavi, Puyol, Iniesta, people that weren't even with him in terms of Setien, then um, Luis Enriquez, and, and, and so many people that fell in love with football again were under Cruyff's direct orders, or around him. I mean, I'm forgetting a lot of them, like obviously Jordi Cruyff, his son, but the Garcia brothers, Oscar and, and Jofra, and loads of managers that have been coaching in La Masia. Um, they, they, a lot of them moved to Australia. There's some of them coaching here in Qatar, actually. And it's not a person. We don't depend on a person. We depend on a on an idea, on a dream, on a yeah. on an idealistic way of being, and that's never gonna die. We could be more or less successful. I mean, if you think about it, Ajax. Ajax don't win every league. Um, Ajax haven't been successful in Europe for many, many years, even though last year they had a fantastic run. But Ajax play football the right way, and, and their the stamp, their philosophy is intact, whether they win or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right about that, and that's why I said it, it's a nightmare. It's not, I, I don't choose whether I wake up thinking about AC Milan or not. Uh, but I think you're right about that, and that was what the frustration, and that does... You know, I know we're ending the Valverde era, but that's what made that Valverde week in and week out so frustrating that there was a feeling and a dread that this board was taking us away from all of those ideals and all of that. And, you know, was it going to be, was there going to be a lack of players coming up through? Was there going to be a lack of I, I, ideas from management and from the board? And were transfers going to stop being uh, Barca type players and all of those fears? you know, compound upon one another. And it's certainly not just one thing. Um, but yes, certainly the move for Kiki Seti, and even as a desperate move that it was, even if he wasn't first choice, he certainly could be taking us back in that place. And one of the things that he did immediately, as we'll, we have two more topics to go on this show, we, you know, we've been holding off and talking about Ricky Pooj. That's a big one here. And he, unfortunately, it's not even that we're talking about the player himself, Ricky Pooj. It's going to be a difficult thing to disconnect talking about the individual Ricky Pooj and the 20 minutes he played against Granada and what we saw in that match from almost the very essence of La Masia that he currently represents, right? That's a thing that we've been waiting for Pooj. He's been the player for now, what, almost two years now, since almost since we've been doing this pod. We've known about mm -hmm. Pooj. We've known he's been that special Barca B midfielder, and we've been waiting for someone to give him an opportunity. The one thing I want to start by saying here before we answer this question, that 
this was the first time, this was not his first team debut, but this was the first time, whether it was Copa del Rey or the two La Liga matches last year, that he played with Lionel Messi and he played with the starters. And that is a very important distinction. That that was my criticism last year of the minutes that Puj got, where we never really did get to see him. He made Denise Suarez look really, really good in the Copa del Rey, right? And if you can make Denise Suarez look like Messi, what can he make Messi look like? And we saw what happened yesterday when he gets the... he. Even though he gave the ball away on a miscombination with Alba, he won the ball back. He got knocked off the ball a few times, sure. But again, accredited Sergio Busquets, who was defensively prepared for him to lose the ball. How smart is Sergio Busquets, by the way, on that? That two of the three occasions when Ricky Puj really just was taken to the house and knocked off the ball, Busquets was close enough to him, within three yards of him, to immediately take the ball back and almost recover for that one failing that Puj has still in his game that we knew was going to be coming physically. But all that said, everything that he did otherwise, Ricky Puj was an upgrade offensively to what Rakitic was doing. But again, Puj now, we wonder, when we look at every performance he has, I think Fatih, we say he's 17, and I think there's forgiveness there, and there should be. But now Puj, is he ever going to go back to the B team? I say he shouldn't, or probably not. And is he always going to be a Barca first team player? Is he ever going to go out and loan? All those questions uh, are becoming now. But if Puj, if this is the moment where he begins to break into that first team, I'm not saying as a starter, but breaking in, he does serve as this hope for La Masia. And that is a incredible pressure on him. But it also is, again, a, a narrative that, that tints the way that we view every performance that he has. Yeah, the two points on that. Um, first, everyone wants to hype him up. He hasn't replayed that much. Um, he played 20 minutes against a team that are not in the top of the table and they're not going to be winning Champions League anytime soon. Um, so let's start with that because... You know, when he jumped into the pitch, and I understand, you know, as a fan, you, you get all hyped up. He got a louder cheer than Arthur got when he came on. And I thought it was a little bit excessive because really he's been waiting in the sidelines and, and was the Barca B doing his time, etc. But he hasn't done anything at first team level just yet. So this is a youngster like Iniesta was when he started, like Xavi was when he started. And the more pressure we put on him, uh, so basically, the higher up we raise him, the, the further down he can fall and, and smash. So let's, let's just start with that point. Then second, the guy is ex- exceptional. He's a fantastic player with lots of skills. And he was an upgrade on all the professionals that get paid so much more money than him. And with that in mind, it is normal that people get excited. Uh, I think the association, the, the touch, the willingness, the hungry, the, the, how hungry he was, the, the, the pace on the ball was something remarkable. But it's a very small sample size. It's the same with Fatih. You know, and obviously, Ansu has played much more than, than Ricky has at first team level. But these are youngsters. They are going to make mistakes. They may not control the ball first time. They may get dispossessed because, in a way, they are little, not in age, but actually in weight and, and, and build still. And they make miss clear shots on goal. Like Ansu could have scored two goals easily yesterday. He just didn't. But this is a risk you take. And to me, having someone like Setien leading that understands that this, this can happen and this will happen, it is great. Having the support of Messi, who was constantly giggling after Ansu was missing and, and uh, you know he was associating with, with Puch, is what makes Barca what it is. Because these players... They may be older now. They may have been in the spotlight for 10, 15 years, but they know what it's like to come from within. They know what it's like to have to earn the space. And I think it's a very healthy happening environment to move forward. And, and the thing is, I don't want to forget um, Carlos Perez either. I think Perez was very good coming on as well. And I think that, as you mentioned earlier in the pod today, having him with Dembele in the mix for that third position up front is, is very healthy moving forward. And um, in terms of Setien, I mean, if his time at um, Logroñez, Lugo, Rathing, and obviously Betis is anything to go by, he will die by his word. I mean, he got sacked from Betis because he continued stubbornly to play the right way in his mind, in his book, which is why he got hired in the first place. So I'm I'm excited about the future and I've got no clue what it's going to look like. Yeah, so three quick Questions, basically almost yes or no questions about Ricky Puj. George asked, can Ricky secure more minutes in the first team on a more regular basis? And obviously that's an easy yes because he's going to be featuring in the first team as opposed to under Valverde when he never featured. So I, I, do we need to answer more, more, more about that? Nope. He will play more. 
Yeah, certainly. He'll get his minutes. Don't expect him to be a starter, but uh, I expect him to be on the bench now regularly going forward. Eric asked, with DeYoung back next week, Artur returning to health, and Puj in the squad this week, what midfield do you see as being the most successful going forward? Frances, for me, it's, this, it's the one we've been talking about. I think the most successful Kike Seti in midfield is going to be Artur, Frankie DeYoung, and Busquets. My only caveat here is if there is not enough scoring on the field, and we're about to talk about, we're going to end the show by talking about the whole goals and target forward, all that. But Vidal is the leading goal scorer for the midfielder and really the only midfield threat to score regularly. So that would be my, the one caveat here, that if there is a necessity for goals to come from the midfield occasionally, then Vidal might supplement Artur, especially if Artur, who, yes, he made a brief cameo, but I didn't think he looked completely healthy yet. The injury he had with the groin is something that takes a long time to come back from and be right from. So if Archer, it's sad to say, but if this winds up being almost a lost year for him health-wise and physically, I could expect Archer Vidal to wind up being part of our mess, our best midfield trio. But if everybody's healthy and everybody's clicking, yes, I think it's the young Busquets and Archer this season. Yeah, unless he plays as a false nine and Messi goes wherever he wants and Griezmann comes out of the middle, which is also a possibility because if you think about it, Barca played with probably two false nines yesterday. And you can really discard that. And Setien is always inventive. So who knows what's going to happen? Last question on Puz. Then we're going to talk about the forwards, man. We've been just, we've been teasing it and flirting with it, Frances. All right, one more. We're going to get to it. Vilmos asks, Puj didn't seem like he had enough weight on his body. How can he cope with strong midfielders and defenders in the long term? Is his body still evolving? Uh, I think the answer actually to that one tactically is that in the, the, lower division in the third division he did get pushed off the ball but he had a way of understanding those players movements and he wound up picking up a ton of fouls so to a point where guys knew that if they pushed him off the ball and hit him the way that they did they were going to pick up yellows or reds and i think yesterday the game is just at obviously at the legal level as compared to the saguna division bay it's quicker it's faster and it's going to take him time to adapt to understand how to use his body and pick up those fouls then. Because that's what it is. That even if he gets pushed off the ball the way he did yesterday, I think that they're uh, in the B division when things were, again, just a little bit slower. He found and learned a way to shield the ball enough where he's going to be fouled in the same way that Messi learned to do that too. Messi might be built, though, a little bit like an ice cube. He is so, so wide and is such a powerful <laughs> center of gravity. He really is. That Puj, that's not Puj. I know it's a little different there, but I think early on, Iniesta is not a big player. He had to learn the same thing, where Iniesta would say, I know I'm smaller than you, but you can't push me off the ball. You're going to have to foul me to get it. And that's what he learned to do in the, the, the third division. So when you talk about the way his body is probably not involving that much, he's, he's 20, he might put on a little bit more weight, but you really doubt it. But what he could do is gain a little bit of strength in the lower half of his body to just get fouled instead of getting knocked off the ball from the upper half. And to learn to do it at the speed of the Liga is going to take a little time. Uh, and that's certainly something for him to work on. So no, as you mentioned, Frances, he's not a finished product. He's not a perfect product. But I, I'm, I'm optimistic that that's going to be a skill set that not only did he learn at the third division, but he's going to be able to apply to the first division in some time. Yeah, just to add that at third division level, and I've watched hundreds of games because that's where my brother has spent the vast majority of his career between Segunda B and, and Tercera División. There are a lot of players there that, uh, past it, basically, the, the, the skilled players, because obviously they wouldn't be playing at that level if they weren't, but they are in the 30, 32, 33, 34, 35 years old, and basically they've done anything they wanted to do in football. When you play against Barca and you've got these really handsome million followers, Instagram people in front of you with weird modern hair, that doesn't make any sense, a uh, bit of an aside there, you, you, you've got no worries on kicking them. And I think, to be honest, it's good, out, good for Ricky to be out of that because he will be playing at first division level against professionals that understand and want to have a long career themselves, which a lot more spotlight put on them. Playing in the Tercera División is rough, and I'm happy Ricky's out of it. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's finish this show by talking about the target forward position. As we mentioned, and we've been getting to anybody who saw the match, particularly Kool-Aid's were watching that with a fine-tooth comb. So there's tactically not much that Frances and I are going to glean or, or shimmer on that game that you didn't already see with Griezmann and Messi uh, combining as basically, as you mentioned, two false nines and a 3-5-2 when they had the ball, which they did for 83% of the time. So Yogev asked, why is Griezmann not 
being used centrally, even though Suarez is injured. I actually hit back about that question that I think he was, that it felt like he was coming on the left wing at times when Messi was facilitating in the middle. Uh, but I thought their movement was actually really, really good. And it's almost picturesque when they were both knocked down right outside the, the penalty box and they helped each other up. You know, there's a lot of images and, you know, the photographers obviously were there on hand to, to capture that, that picture of them helping each other up. But their partnership is just starting. It's just beginning now. And I'm, again, optimistic that it's just going to get better and better when they start to understand the times when... Now, we know that Messi isn't a target forward for, but... But sure, but he does get into the box. And even where the combination they had on the corner kick, when Griezmann, it seems to work almost once a game, where Griezmann is the one to make that run to the near post, Messi finds his head as he's trying to flick on to either Pique, Umtiti, or Langley at the back post. So I think it's going to work out, and it didn't... Yeah, he certainly was working centrally. And Griezmann was showing in this game more than any other game, I think, under Valverde, that his first touch is superb. It is world-class, and that's what we're being reminded of that Griezmann might not be a out-and-out number nine, but I think he is getting, even if he's not finishing the goals centrally, build-up is happening through him in the center part of the field as it should have been with Suarez. So I think that's a positive thing. But even Pancho asks, for you, Frances, what will help Barca's end product with the Granada game? Was it just bad luck, or is it just a lack of a finisher now with Suarez? Because we knew the 10 goals before that, he was associated either with a goal or an assist with the 10 goals before the one that Messi scored on the boot of Arturo Vidal. Yeah, well, if you don't have arguably the best striker in the world as part of your team, you, you are going to miss him. Um, my understanding is he's got 14 goals in, in half a season, which is remarkable by anyone's standard, certainly by his as well. And obviously he's been criticised left, right and centre from the very second the preseason started for for being out of shape, but his numbers are there for everyone to look at and, and in a way learn. Um, I think that any team would miss Suarez and Barca are not going to be um, any different in that respect. But then again, given where we are in the season, given that we've got a new manager and given that he's looking for new solutions, I really don't think having him out is going to be as detrimental as it would have been if Alberto was our coach today. I think that the playing time that Suarez obviously is not going to be enjoying will be distributed amongst um, up-and-coming talents with plenty of potential to to make an impact. Obviously, as we've said before, Dembele will come back and he can add a different dimension to that. And to be honest, in terms of the central position, I mean, this is Barca. It's not um, West Ham with Andy Carroll trying to get a you know, flying header uh, <laughs> and scoring from a corner. This is different. Uh, Barca is dy- dynamic. It's all about movement. It's all about spacing. And... To, I mean, this is very simple in football and every coach that I've ever worked under and, and, and watched has done this. In, on, and it was very telling. On the 15th minute, you've got Fatih and at the time was Messi and obviously Griezmann as well, swapping position and switching continuously. And when I saw that, I was like, yeah, I've been doing that for the last 30, 40 years. But Valverde didn't think about that probably even once. And it's just positions are spaces. And, and if you are always sort of stable on the same spot, then it's very easy to mark you when you've got, and you said it, I think it was in the Facebook group, when you've got Granada chasing shadows rather than people, then that's when the magic happens. So not having a a central reference is not a problem. The problem would be whether people are able to run into those spaces. And and to be honest, the, the finishing has to improve because it wasn't up to scratch against Granada. But to be honest, three was it three days since Setien started training with the team? I'll definitely take that. Yeah, the last two questions from Christopher and Aman. What is Barca's best approach to replacing Suarez? And Aman's asked, with Suarez's injury, how do you think we resolve that issue? And the answer to me is that it, it's going to be resolved through Griezmann becoming more of a finisher and a goal scorer for Barca. And I think those opportunities are there because, as you mentioned, he's going to be in the space now. And I know it felt at times where when Barca were crossing and it didn't seem like there was anybody in the box, I think that continuity is it's going to come, that there's going to figure out exactly where Griezmann needs to be. He's now, again, almost restarting his Barca career in as a false nine where he's now being tasked to be in different positions than he was under Valverde. So I think for all the players I was looking, for all the players that Kike Setien's system will affect, I think Antoine Griezmann, and I think Sergio Roberto is the other one, but I I think, or whoever that right center back is in a a back three when they have possession, I think Antoine Griezmann is the guy with the most onus on change in his position. And so I think it is going to take a little bit of time. But as I said, 
the buildup is the most important part, and that was there. And then the finishing, he has the ability to finish, and I think he will. And all that said about replacing Suarez, there's no one on the transfer window for January that Barca is going to bring in that's going to score you, what, 10 goals for the rest of the season or nine goals or whatever you were going to get out of Suarez. That's just not going to happen. He's one of the, as you mentioned, Frances, one of the top goal scorers still in the world as much as we get on him uh, for all the things that he breaks down as far as combining and he doesn't bring the pressure and we clearly saw that what you're missing from him as much as you're missing his goals they're important to winning matches but also remember again why we were criticizing him so much that he wasn't really bringing that pressure and having the 10 guys behind Messi bring the pressure allows him to choose when he wants to high press himself which he did I think on more occasions this team is going to run 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 and Suarez I don't know how much he was going to fit under in this Kike Setien system anyway for long amounts of time I think he might have found himself on the bench anyway but how do we resolve the injury uh, issue again we're going to have to wait but as far as the goals they're coming from the guys you know Messi's going to be scoring Griezmann you need to get something out of Fadi you have to get something out of Perez you have to get something out of Dembele occasionally Arthur we know he can shoot a long shot Alba is going to get one or two you're going to get one from Sergio Roberto you're going to get a few from PK it's going to have to be that era where and I do think a lot of Pedro he scored more goals than you think he did and it's going to be like that where you're going to look at the list and go oh maybe Carlos Perez he scored four or five goals and that winds up all those little goals by individual players get you over the line because you know I also want to push back to where I think the dog uh, it's a dogmatic idea to go oh well we just have to you know we got Puj he came up we got to get La Masia it's going to be coming up and to that I, I just want to push back and not be a cynic and not be negative here but Albert Ruiz who is the player that everybody always mentions He's going to be gone in the next maybe few days, maybe by the time this is out. It seems like he's going to Sporting CP in Portugal. It's going to be, looks to be about a year and a half loan. They could be changing the terms. Again, they're still working on the contract now. But So Abra Ruiz, the guy that everyone's going to mention. And I think people are still going to be mentioning him when he's playing for a different club because they know that you know he's the name that's coming up. The forward, there's an Albanian center forward, Ray Minaj, coming from Albacete to Barca B, but he's being signed to replace Abra Ruiz at Barca B. From what I've ever seen, he doesn't really have the quality. And then the other two, Alejandro Marquez and Kike Severio, who's a, a winger. Marquez is in the middle, also a little bit younger as well. I think he's only still 19. They're going to probably be called up for the game against Ibiza. And I want to end on a positive note that Minaj, maybe they see something that they like with him, the Albanian uh, forward, as I said, coming in. But in the, in the case of Marquez and Severio, uh, I don't know. Maybe they are that good. Uh, we go back and we think guys who were trusting in La Masia, we didn't know what Pedro was. Pedro was the same thing, where he was a little bit older when he was brought up from, from Barca B, and he wasn't supposed to be a top-level talent that he became. Busquets was the same thing. Xavi and Niesta were much more heralded in La Masia than Busquets was, and they kind of came out of nowhere. So you know what? With all that uh, Alejandro Marquez has shown so far, maybe he is even better. Maybe when he is playing alongside first-team players, he gets called up gets a few minutes off the bench, and gets some timely goals uh, in the way that, Bo- that Boyan did all those years ago. I'm not saying that's going to be the same path, the same future, but I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these talents that aren't supposed to be top-level talents wind up banging in the few goals that is necessary. So maybe La Masia uh, is the answer. I just would tell people that I wouldn't bank on it. I wouldn't bank on January transfer window being the key. I wouldn't bank on La Masia being the key. But I would bank on the talent already in the squad to bang in a few more goals now that Suarez is out. Yep. I would save the money, as I said before, save the money and invest it properly into some starter um, come come next transfer season when the, the season's over in the summer. So last question for you, Frances, comes from uh, Dan Hilton, actually. Uh, he asked Frances, Frances, of all the players that you think are going to benefit from the Kike Setien era, what player do you think is going to shine the brightest? Fra- Frankie de Jong, without a shadow of a doubt. He's going to grow into the player he needs to grow and into the player that he should have become six months ago when he joined us. But he's been he's been locked away into the Valverde's um, nonsensical, chaotic world that he's been freed from. So Frankie, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, and I also want to say we did have a bunch of maybe new listeners or returning listeners with the Kiesetian appointment last week. So thanks for joining back in with the Barcelona podcast. And to tease it for next week, well, we haven't seen Frankie Young under Kike Setien yet. So there's a game in Ibiza uh, in the midweek. So we'll get to see a lot of La Masia players under Kike Setien, most likely, as they'll be called up for the Copa del Rey match. But you're going to have to come back next week to hear all about Frankie Young 
how he did against Valencia in the very first match uh, for De Jong under Kike Setien. So I just have to tease it. You just have to keep coming back to the show. And the other thing, just a quick point on uh, Ibiza. Ibiza in the midweek. Again, it's going to be a lot of um, younger players. But unfortunately, Fantasia, I don't know what the drinking age in Ibiza is. But what I will say is it seems to have a comparison to in the NBA of Miami or Toronto or some of these places where on the uh, when, when teams fly in early, uh, and spend a little bit of time in the nightlife. It seems to be it seems to be a rough match the next day. But that said, by starting a bunch of kids, you know the kids aren't really allowed to go out, and they all have curfews. So I think that might actually be a positive thing. Instead of playing, uh, we don't know how late Gerard PK is going to be staying out in Ibiza. So maybe starting a <laughs> Ronald Araujo might be a little bit of a better sign actually against Ibiza. Exactly. I mean, Ibiza doesn't have any age. Ibiza doesn't have any control. Ibiza is. It's what it is. In, in, in I think the USA is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, so it's the same thing with Ibiza. Um, I was fortunate enough, actually, nothing that is relevant to Barca at all, but I went to Ibiza 10 consecutive years, and it was fun. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> you know, I, I think for people that have, that have gotten to garner our personalities, they know that Ibiza, to me, very much like Las Vegas in the U.S. or Atlantic City, seems like a nightmare situation. Not a beach guy. I'm not a night guy. But I think now that we're talking about Ibiza, uh, I think, again, that'll wrap this show up. I think we that's where we end it. So thanks so much for tuning in again. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media, too, on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, at Hilton D13. For me, on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod, the closed Facebook group where we get these questions. And actually, we did have a ton of new names and people who answered the questions. And that's why we had a huge induction of people this past week on tvpod.link backslash group. That's where we get these questions from, deeper dives, discussions, and a great community there. We're also on Patreon, where I set my own record. I had the longest match review that I've ever done on Patreon for the Granada match, and that is at tvpod.link backslash Patreon. That's also how we continue to make these shows. That is still... Of all the things I've been doing, of all the different ways that this show has continued, the Patreon has always been uh, foremost the reason why this has all been possible. And I'm on YouTube as well. Uh, things are really picking up there with the new studio here in the basement. At the Barcelona Podcast there, you know what it's called. Check us out there and particularly hit that subscription button, hit that like button, leave a comment. That all helps out as well. And finally, the one thing you can do if you like this show, iTunes, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you're listening, just leave a little rating there. That helps us out as well. So as we start a new era, the Kike Setien era begins as well. I want to start everything else on a positive note. 2020 is going to be our year. And by that, I mean all of Kool-Aid is going to be our year. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.